This is the Head Torch Podcast. Welcome. Our mission, to create a mentally healthy culture at work. Keeping the conversations alive, our podcasts bring you great presenters and stimulating discussion on mental health and well-being in the workplace. Enjoy. Very warm welcome, everybody. I'm Amy McDonald. I'm Angus Robinson. And of course, we have our special guest today, Jane Wheeler, partner at Keystone Law. And I'll be introducing you more fully shortly, Jane. Welcome, everybody, to the Wellbeing Hour. For those of you that don't know us here at Head Torch, we do all things to de- develop an organization's mental health culture. So we work with senior leaders, with people managers, with frontline people. We work nationally, locally, globally. We basically meet your needs in terms of developing that mentally healthy culture. So if you want to find out more, do pick up the phone or send us an email afterwards. Today at this wellbeing hour, what we will do is I will shortly be introducing Jane and then she will introduce herself a little bit further. She and I will then fall into conversation. And after that, Jane's going to pose all of us here a question. And we'll be inviting you to unmute and to share your thoughts on that question or ask Jane any other questions that have come to mind through our conversation. And then Jane will finish off by giving us a few top tips. So a very warm welcome to you, Jane. Lovely that you could join us for this Wellbeing Hour. Thank you. Let me introduce Jane to you, everybody. She is a partner, as I said, at Keystone Law. We met Jane, I can't even remember, but quite a number of years ago now, right? At the conference in London, a wellbeing conference, in fact. And since then, we've collaborated several times. And Jane has Jane qualified as a solicitor back in the early 2000s and at a city law firm. And she's worked in several firms specialising in in employment law and has been at Keystone Law for the last three years. She advises senior individuals, many of whom are experiencing difficulties with mental health as a result of workplace issues. She also advises and offers training to employers who are looking to implement wellbeing strategies at work or who are seeking advice on how to handle tricky issues with staff's mental health and disability. We are also delighted at Head Torch that Jane is our special advisor in terms of employment law. So Jane, over to you. Please do introduce yourself with that mystery object. (laughs) Right. Well, my object is a table tennis bat. Um, It was very tempting for those of you who know me and uh, Amy and Angus, you know that I'm a very keen runner. It was very tempting to come along to the session today and bring something like my running spikes because I just got down back to the running track after a long period of um, absence, injury and COVID related. Um, But I thought that the the table tennis bat really summed up where I am on my own mental health journey, I suppose, at the moment. Um, What I realised during lockdown was that whilst I've been running for a long time, I never questioned really why I did that. And I always assumed that it was in part to do with my mental health. Um, And, of course, it is. 
But actually, I realized that what was more important for mental health was variety uh, in my life. So keeping active, doing things that are perhaps a little bit more playful, a little bit more different. Um, and so with my table tennis bat, um, I, uh, my, my daughter and I have been going down to the local wreck where there are a couple of table tennis tables, uh, you know, sort of cemented to the floor. And we've been practicing our table tennis skills and it's just done wonders for uh, positivity, uh, variety, movement, just doing something a little bit different. Fantastic. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you, Jane. I should have said earlier as well, you may have noticed that we are also recording this session so that you can listen to it afterwards via podcast or indeed as a webinar again. So Jane, tell us, as a lawyer, when did you, when did you first really get interested in mental health? Um, well, I think it was around the time, Amy, that we met. So we met, I think, in 2017. And at the time, I was asked to uh, come along to the mental health conference and present a section on uh, what to be aware of in terms of the legal implications of managing mental health. And I was really aware of a couple of things in preparing for that session. One, that it can be a little bit dull looking at things purely from the legal perspective. And I was also really um, alive to the fact that as lawyers, sadly, although I think things are changing, quite often we get brought into discussions about mental health when it's the end of the road. And so really I was very mindful that my talk was focusing on exiting people from organisations when they are suffering with uh, mental health difficulties. And so what the conference did was it enabled me to perhaps look at things a little bit more positively, to think that there might be more proactive steps that we could take as lawyers um, to help employers to look at mental health differently not just in terms of exit strategies, but more positively in terms of uh, introducing a mental health framework for staff, mental health policies. Um, and the other thing that struck me about the conference was that there was so much variety that I'd never really thought about uh, in, in terms of what workplaces can do to support mental health. So uh, there were people talking about laughter therapy, yoga, reading in groups. Um, it really uh, blew me away, actually, in terms of the, the breadth and variety of what might be possible in workplaces if we only put our minds to it. Yeah, absolutely. So you started... Taking up laughter therapy with your clients. <laughs> I'm sure you did. But so what was your, how did you take it forward from there then in terms of being um, more proactive? Yeah. I mean, I suppose some of it was about thinking differently in terms of what I was advising clients uh, to, to do. So um, it was rather than being reactive and waiting for clients to come to me with 
problems that they were dealing with. It was going to them with suggestions about, well, have you thought about mental health strategy? Um, and obviously getting experts like yourself in to be able to assist companies um, on that journey. Um, it also made me think about the way in which conversations often in the workplace are um, polarising, I suppose, because you've got an employee that might be suffering uh, with a mental health condition, and then you've got an employer that quite often, it, in my experience, has looked at things from a, it's not quite the right word, but, you know, an adversarial position. So they're sort of thinking your interests are not aligned with mine. And so I realised, and I don't, I don't really know that this answers your question, Amy, in that I don't know how I did it. It kind of morphed as I got more experienced. Good answer. We like more. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I think I began to see things more as a partnership between the employer, the HR team, um, and the individual to really try and find a resolution. Nice. Yeah. Were, were organisations beginning then to, to bring you in earlier? Because you talked about, you found your, initially you find yourself always there at the end of the line, if you like, working out the exit strategy. So how did you, how did you engage people earlier? Yeah. So um, I think following that conference, we went out more proactively to employers to ask, you know, have you... Um, considered a mental health strategy? Have you put the frameworks in place? So I think we were making employers uh, alive to what might be possible because I, you know, I understand the traditional view of lawyers being to come in to sort of sort a problem out. Um, I mean, I, actually, it's, it's almost like I have set this up for the session, but I, I promise this happened. <laughs> Very shortly this morning, very shortly before our session this morning, I had a call from an employer client um, that's been a client of mine for some time now. Um, and they have come, they've started and they've done all the right things in terms of uh, managing the situation for an employee who has anxiety and agoraphobia. And they are really struggling with this person in the to get the person into the workplace. But the person has quite a critical role that means they need to be in the workplace. Mm. Um, so I was very pleased. I don't know, hopefully in small part, you know, the education and support that we and the guidance we provided on other things, on other matters, has enabled this employer to come and think, Right, I've got some of the way down the line in terms of engaging with the employee. What do I do next in terms of trying to resolve this situation? So I think employers are naturally now, the, the ones that I've been working with for some time, bringing <coughs> me in at an earlier stage to help guide them on some of these issues. Fantastic. And are you able to... Share some of the some of that guidance that you could give in this scenario. Yeah, of course. So, 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 so the key that the key area um, 
um, the, the key area that we were talking about this morning was the need to inform, the need for the employer to be more informed about the situation. Because as I'm sure many of you listening will, hopefully um, this will resonate with you, that if there is a performance issue, for example, with staff, uh, with a member of staff, and you think there's something that's not quite right here, and perhaps, so in this situation, the person was saying, well, I've got a bad back. So occupational health came in to look at the bad back. Actually, we weren't really sure whether there was a bad back or and whether that was just the tip of the iceberg. And then I think that, you know, matters started to develop. So the person was then obviously exhibiting anxiety. They then got a diagnosis from their doctor of agoraphobia. So I think what the employer had done is they'd started to get some support, recognised this is an area where we need support. We need to get occupational health to come in. But I think where they needed to go with it is they needed to ask more focused questions of occupational health in terms of how the person could be best supported. Um, one of the things that the employer had considered was putting in place a performance improvement plan. Um, and, you know, that might have been a good step and might have been an appropriate step. But again, what I was encouraging them to do was to row back slightly from that, because if they get some more input from occupational health, they will be better able to work out, do we need a performance improvement process? And if we do, what does it look like? And how is it fair to, to, to the person? How are we adjusting our standard process to fit with this particular individual? So I think that that Hoc Health report will be the key to unlocking whatever they, whatever they need to do next. Yeah. And what I'm liking about what you're saying is that you're actually encouraging the employer to step back and because we find this often that there's a tendency to jump on the performance issue rather than actually digging in deeper to well actually what's going on here and and also interesting you were talking about the bad back scenario because that's you know that those physical ailments are often the as you say that that tip of the iceberg aren't they in terms of actually What's, what's going on? What's the cause yeah. of that sore back or that sore head that this person keeps having now that they didn't used to keep yes. having? So it also sounds like the organisation's very insightful in kind of going, oh, actually, that's not how this person usually is. Yes, right. that's right. I mean, the thing that I've noticed, I mean, I was speaking to somebody from HR, they have quite a large HR team, but I do t completely recognise, for those of you who are listening who are HR professionals, that you do come under an enormous amount of pressure from managers within the business. I mean, the, ma the manager wanted to move much more quickly to a performance improvement plan. And actually what we did was we, hopefully, we've struck a bit of a balance, which is to flag to the individual that that might be a route that we're considering. So we're hopefully you know, accommodating what the manager wants, but equally we want to hear from the individual what they need to be able to make the best success of any process. And we obviously are not going to start anything until we've got the specialist guidance. So I do recognise that 
HR is in a, you know, sometimes a really invidious position when it comes to these kinds of uh, difficult situations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So rolling back further, do you see, is there a point before the point that that organisation came to speak to you? Is there a point before that that they could have gone, you know what, I'm going to pick up the phone to Jane? Um, well, they were talking to me about having got an occupational health report probably four months or so ago. Now, to be fair to them, the report focused mainly on the bad back. Uh, and so, you know, I can understand that the suggestions about working from home. Uh, so, so essentially the suggestion was leave it for now, just let the individual work in this way. And of course the organisations thought, well, we want to comply with the report, but this is really isn't working for us as a business. So I think there was probably a point a couple of months ago where they could have picked up the phone. Having said that, I think now they've got it just at the right moment. You know, if they haven't done it then, mm. that doing it now is is perfect mm -hmm. because I think sure. they really will set themselves up for managing the next the next stage. Mm. And from our perspective, we we would say it's about having those conversations early. So you know, four months can be a long time in terms of our health, right? So it's about picking up and having those conversations, those open conversations with the individual as much as possible, isn't it? Mm. Finding out what's what's best and what they need most. What do you what do you think about that? Um, absolutely agree, and I think that probably, from my point of view, is the starting point, because I th I think too often people are, and and we've actually seen some uh, in in the wider world uh, in terms of press and publicity i think we've seen some great adverts uh recently uh in terms of you know i think somebody's suffering with their mental health what do i do and the answer is just have a conversation with them um because i think people worry i'm not a specialist i don't know what to do i don't know how to engage that person but actually asking open questions and asking the individual what they need is the starting point. The problem becomes um, that, you know, that's not the end point. So employers also need to be proactive in terms of, okay, the individual's told us that. What do we think? Do we need to get expert advice to even know what we uh, what we think? But it's, it, it's certainly... Um, the best starting point and I think some something that resonated with me and it's it's come up in a couple of conversations I've had recently is that individuals that have been suffering with um, mental ill health have been commenting to their line managers and to HR I know there's I know there's a problem I know there's a problem with my performance just I, and I've just got to knock it on the head. I know that, and it's and I I empathise with that. You know, it's the individual things. I know I've got to take control over this, but but actually, you may not know how to do it, 
and may need that specialist intervention, whether it's counselling or some other support, to be able to start to help themselves get better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we talk about that as well. That's that, that, this, as non-medics, there's only so far you can take the conversation and then it's about signposting, isn't it, and, and offering up different options that the individual then chooses. One thing we talk about, Jane, when we're working with clients is how helpful it can be after a conversation with someone who's struggling to agree what you've agreed and have and write that down not in a heavy-handed way but just in a way that's going to support both parties and kind of keep people on track what what's your thinking around that yeah I I absolutely agree with that um and and it, it makes me think of several years ago now I had a discussion with a mental health professional who went into organisations and advised on what steps they could put in place to support staff. And I remember he said he'd gone into an organisation with a member of staff who was bipolar. And it's at certain moments in time recognised that their behaviour was causing difficulties in the workplace for themselves and for others and found the best way to keep the person on track was to have an action plan, to agree that with them. And if there was a you know, a relapse or resurgence of the issues to bring the plan out and say, right, okay, we're here and this is what we agreed we'd do in this particular situation. So I definitely um, think that's a helpful step. I also think, and of course I have to think this is in terms of a lawyer, being a lawyer, and thinking that, you know, in the longer term, obviously, what we don't want is for the employer to face a claim for example, for disability discrimination, for the way in which they have supported or failed to support an employee. So if all along you can be documenting what support you've given, what you've agreed, what the next step, when the follow-ups will be, that's the best way to indicate to an employment tribunal in the you know un- unlikely event that you end up there that you have actually taken all the steps that you need to um, to defend yourself from a, a potential claim as, as well as support the individual. Yeah, yeah, great. It ties in, doesn't it, to a wellness action plan. Um, do, you, do you want to talk a little bit around the wellness action plan? Yeah, I mean, I it, to, to be honest, um, Amy, it's not something that I've dealt with a, a, a lot. Um, okay. and I think I've probably only had... Um, a couple of organisations that have put that in place, if if we're talking about the same kind of thing. But well, maybe we should clarify yeah. what we're talking about then. What are yeah. you talking about? And I'll so, tell you if I'm talking about talking the same thing. More, I'm talking more about, for example, the bipolar employee. So tar- targeting um, uh, a specific plan to a specific employee. So I don't know whether you're talking about something more broad organisationally. Well... For those of you that don't know, a wellness action plan is generally completed by somebody who has had some mental health issues, and but they're in recovery. And basically the idea is that you write down things like, what signs might you spot in me if I'm unwell? What will help me most if I am unwell? How can, what kind of things will keep me well at work, right? It's not a legally binding document, 
and the individual can share with as many people or as few people as they want. So what we often say is, you know, somebody can complete this, but share it with no one. And it might have done them the world of good. You know, uh, equally, the more people they can share it with, then the, the more support they can get in and around the workplace. So it can be a super powerful document. And we would actually promote, you know, well, we all need one, right? Regardless, uh, because there's things at work make us feel good and other things that that don't so essentially that's where we're coming from yeah i i've not seen it in that context before but i i totally i would be on board with that because an area i see and it's it's really through you know the conversations we've had before amy and at conferences that i've been to that head torch have presented at this idea about the stigma of mental health i think it's encouraging people to complete those plans openly and honestly because we do have I mean I sometimes get employers coming to me and saying we've got this new employee we think there are some issues um uh, with mental health but you know they came to us they never told us anything at interview and you think well I obviously people aren't under an obligation to do so I totally understand why somebody might be feel uncomfortable with sharing something so openly and honestly at that stage and whilst this shouldn't be the case you know, obviously having those people naturally having a concern that that would count against them uh, in terms of future job prospects. But I think if that could become the norm, that would be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And that, that will only happen, won't it, when we live in, the, in a stigma-free world, really? Yeah. Um, we like to focus in on the, the, the positive skills and qualities that someone with lived experience brings to the workplace. Let's focus on that. You know, think of all the amazing talents that you're bringing, the, the richness that you're bringing to, to your workforce when you have somebody with that lived experience. Let's just move on to a slightly different subject, which is more about that vicarious stress that you and I have talked about, about how, you know, you you have probably, I don't know, but per perhaps there are some stressful times for you at work, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> well, simply hearing about people's stories, right? That that yeah. could be a lot. And, you know, within workforces more and more now, there are mental health champions and they're listening to people's stories. And so there's a lot of vicarious stress that we can pick up. How, how would you say we should best look after that kind of yeah. stress? I think, um, I mean, I really, I really would say about personally being uncompromising about your own mental health that's pretty important so to take your breaks and I mean for me to go to the running track or whatever it happens to be I do think that's important um and actually being and I've noticed people are more willing to do this now but I think before if people were taking breaks they were taking them very sneakily so they would say, oh, you know, I've got, I'm going to this meeting now where they might be doing yoga for an hour and something like that. Um, and I think if particularly managers can set the example where they're saying, I can't speak now because that's the hour that I'm going to do so-and-so, but you know, any other time around that, happy to have the conversation. I think that does, I don't think that's any sign of weakness. I think that embeds a culture of, People are looking after themselves. 
setting an example, saying that it's important to look after your own um, mental health and to take breaks. Um, so, so possibly, you know, going back to this idea we've spoken about before, leading by example, you know, s- senior managers and team leaders um, setting that example. Absolutely. Brilliant. I'll be off to my trampolining straight directly after this. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much. You have a question which I'm going to share now. You have a question that you would like to share and pose to everybody who has joined us here today. Performance and mental health. How can you or your organisation improve its approach? And we're just going to add that question into the chat for you as well, as we're going to stop the share on that. So that's the question for that Jane is posing us. If anybody would like to share their thoughts on that, and or if you have any other questions for Jane, please, if you use the emoji uh, with their little hands up, I'll be able to invite you in. Video silence at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Angus. That is actually not me. (laughs) No, it's a different Gus. (laughs) It is the link that I sent somebody who's got their hand up. Oh, lovely. Well, whoever has their hand up. (laughs) It's Nadia. It's Nadia. Nadia, Hi, Nadia. Hi. Hi. If you'd just like to say, Nadia, who you are and where you work and then follow up with your question or your comment, please. Um, so I am Nadia Kuhl. I'm Head of Occupational Health and Wellbeing at SSE for UK and Ireland. Um, so that was really interesting. Thanks very much. I think it was more about the, the phrase that you put on, but what can we do as a company? And I think there's so much at the moment that we really make complicated but for me it's about kind of like taking a step back and really going back to basics and almost looking at simple things um, about I think acknowledging people's work and things and when people perform well how we let them know expressing praise and gratitude is, you know is, I think it's really important for keeping up morale and I think regardless of how bad a business is or how bad the work is is at the end of the day if somebody just says to you thank you it makes you you know gives you that bit of an oomph to come back the next day whereas you know if you don't get anything back you just think to yourself oh gosh what what's the point so I think really positive feedback has been really kind of shown to mitigate the negative effects on stress on employee performance as well and yeah a person who feels engaged in their work and a person knows themselves to be valued is less likely to take time off unless they really need it as well so I think that's probably kind of all I want to say about that but that's yeah my thoughts on how we make a business better is basically going back to basics yeah fantastic Nadia it's not actually rocket science is it it's being kind to people (laughs) and sharing you know how as you say Nadia sharing that gratitude what what are your thoughts on that Jane totally agree I mean, actually, I'm not going to, I know we've we've come on some top tips later, but my overall message would be whilst the issues that we're dealing with in terms of somebody's mental health are complicated, actually the steps or the the things to be considering are quite uh, common sense. Even the legal aspects. I mean, I know there is a framework that's unfamiliar, but but, but actually, um, you know, I completely agree with Nadia. Um, just keeping things simple um, is 
you know, is, is, is the best way of approaching it. Yeah. When, Nadia, can I just go back to you? When there's, when there's not that, those, those basics of thanking people, praising people, being kind to people, when there's not those basics, for you, what's the impact of that? The impact, you know, at the end of the day, I think the impact for, and I think for most businesses as well, is when you go home and you feel demoralised, you're then less likely when you get up. If you've got somebody that says thank you and you wake up in the morning not want to go into work, you're, you don't want to let that person down because they really, you know, they've, they've valued you. You think, right, OK, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go into work, etc. Um, but also, I think it also creates an environment where you're more open. If somebody says thank you and they see you as an individual, you're more likely to then talk to them about issues that they're facing as well. So even a small step like a thank you to me mm-hmm. is saying, oh, actually, they know my name's Nadia, I've, I do this, they appreciate my work, and they're more likely to talk to them as well. And then, you know, get into the, the crux of, okay, do they need support or what support can we get? So I think it opens a lot of doors. Um, and I think it's it's something that, you know, when we look at how many employees go off work, like one in five will not return to work in four weeks of absence. Let's not let them go off in the first place. And I think, yeah, just by doing something simple will hopefully prevent somebody by going off by just opening the doors of communication. Yeah, absolutely. Hurrah, Nadia. Hurrah for Nadia's <laughs> in the world. Thank you, Nadia. Irene, you have your hand up. Irene Curry, you have your hand. Sorry, I was unmuted there. That's all right. Tell us where you where you work, Irene, and then share your your comment or question. Okay. Well, I work for Western Bartonshire's Frontline Homeless Emergency Service. So, um, I was interested, obviously, in all the head torch events. And um, what I find is, we're in a kind of fortunate position where we do have very good line management, which leave channels open for us to go to them. I feel personally anyway, and I think it's really important to know that the, the channels are there and we get regular supervision, which is really good. And you, you can actually discuss any amount of anything um, that you need to, to talk about. Um, and I think, again, we're, we're quite fortunate with um, the peer group of my immediate colleagues. Um, we, we, um, we're fortunate to be a really good bunch and can recognise maybe things. Um, that are going on and whatever, and I think that's really, as you know, as I've, I've been in situations before where you're like, well, I'm not going to say anything here. I'm not going to open my mouth about how I'm feeling because you, you know, there, there there can be times when you feel a wee bit threatened to show your vulnerability, you know, and it, it's just you know, it's trying on that peer level to to maybe expect the best out of people as a first option, you know, and working in the line of what we are, you know, the the it's it's a it's a challenging role, you know, but the, the person behind that challenge, you know, they're, they're not voluntarily sitting in homeless accommodation, loving it, you know. So um, I'm not, in, as I say, in a managing position, but I think from from the group, if, if the managers can have a, a good teamwork and regular contact, regular conversations and available. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It might lead to less kind of, emergency crisis coming up with staff I don't know it's just that absolutely no thank you Irene absolutely it is about creating that environment as you as you quite rightly say where people feel open to talk and also where people because that trust has been established right then it's a two-way thing isn't it somebody will then feel more more able to open up if they're not feeling well and somebody else will be more able to say you know what you're not your usual self um Tracy Tracy Crystal 
Hi, Amy. Um, wow. It really just echoes what Irene and Nadia said, more towards what Irene was saying there, where um, organisations I work with, the line management can be quite overwhelmed by this type of stuff. Um, and a couple have reached out and we've got mental health first aiders and that has been phenomenal because what's happened is in parallel to the line management, there is someone else that they can go, a person can go to rather than feeling immediately, I need to go to my line manager. Is that going to affect the job, the role, the project I'm on? So I appreciate not everyone can do that. Um, we started in one organisation with 12, we now have 32 um, and we actually train the folks up to, you know, they, they get a certificate up to level five for mental health. So if it can be um, a situation where that can help line managers, it just takes the pressure off both the employee and the manager. And it was just an observation. Thanks, Tracy. What What are your thoughts, uh, Jane? Um, I mean, I, uh, I mean, completely agree. Mental health first aid is great idea, and I've got a number of clients that have, you know, implemented that. That's that's an astonishing number that you've got for the organisation. A great sort of increase, which is which is fantastic. Um, also, I mean, I, I suppose what it's almost another question. I suppose comes out for me when I hear some of the comments there. Um, I wonder, I mean, it's interesting what Irene was saying about, you know, not always, people not always feeling comfortable to be vulnerable and to open up. And and I wonder, you know, with our remote workplaces now, or increasingly remote workplaces, how, you know, much harder that has become um, and harder for managers to spot the visible signs um, harder to engage in conversations. I mean, I, I have to say that our organisation is amazingly, because we are all remote, um, is very collaborative, lovely community. But I think that's one area we always have to be looking at, that we are remote. We are sometimes, as you say, Amy, dealing with very difficult situations. And sometimes, I know I personally miss out on the opportunity if you have a very difficult situation to turn around to a colleague and share that with them, get their view. Um, sometimes, you know, sort of share a smile over somebody that's being very difficult. I don't mean that in any kind of offensive way, but, you know, just needing to say, needing to, needing to express the fact that sometimes when somebody sends an awful email because they're obviously going through a terrible time themselves, that that is not a reflection of that person. That's not a reflection of you. That is yeah. the terrible situation they're, they're going through. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, remote organisations might have a particular challenge around some of these things. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's about... There's... It's about having more and more conversations, isn't it? Because the better we know one another, the more we are able to then open up spot signs and so on. Mm. And that comes on a day-to-day. -day. It's about the small things, isn't it? It's about developing trust. Angus, have you got a, a quick question there? I do have a comment. question. I, we were discussing yesterday, Jane, a case where a tribunal found against the company um, and this is despite the fact that the employees had been trained 
right, in terms of um, uh, diversity and mental health and these types of uh, topics. But what they found was that the training was out of date and, and you know, was uh, not fit for purpose. So how important do you think effective training is or learning and development is in this field? Yeah, I think it's very important, Angus. Um, if I'm looking at it from, and I'll keep this very high level, a legal perspective, um, if, an, if a company is facing an employment tribunal claim for discrimination, it may be facing a claim as an organisation, but individual line managers, HR, other members of staff might also have personal claims that they're facing. And that's not to, to scare anybody. It's just a, fa- a function of the discrimination legislation. People can bring claims um, against individuals as well as companies. And the best way for an individual and a company to defend itself against that is to say, we were we trained our staff, or we were trained as individuals. We were trained. We attended that training. It was kept up to date regularly, and that's you know always the starting point. Because if you can't demonstrate that, you will be on the back foot uh, in terms of defending any any uh, employment claims. Right. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, everybody. Let's now share some of your top tips, Jane. Yep. So we have first be curious and ask questions. Yeah. So this is really little of this. Yeah. So so this was really just driving home the point that we I made earlier that don't worry if you don't have the answers or you think, oh, I don't know anything about what this person might be going through. Um, you don't need to worry about not being a specialist. It, it's just about opening up and having those initial conversations. Yeah, great. Be curious and ask questions. I love that. Nip matters in the bud early. Yes, quite often we see situations where, or I see situations where um, uh, employment that concerns about somebody's mental health um, have been let drift uh, uh, organisations let them drift and you're quite right Amy that two three four months when an individual is going through a terrible time is a very long time indeed Um, so it's about identifying the concerns early Um, I suppose the other thing is letting the individual know and I, I found this quite effective in discussions in the past uncomfortable discussions if you approach the individual and say to them could we you know could we speak about this my perception is that you are suffering you are whatever the perception is it it's not an accusation and it enables the individual to say either you're quite right let me tell you about it or well that's not quite right actually that's not, but you then have a discussion and perhaps the individual is aware you know of the impact that they might be having on others um that they might need to get help so i think raising the points early rather than letting them drift you know again looking at looking at employers protecting themselves in court tribunals will want to see that 
um, employers engage, engage with the issues early on. Yeah, absolutely. It's in everybody's best interest, right? It's in the individuals, the teams, yeah. the organisations, the reputation, everything. It's in everybody's interest to to explore situations as soon as you as soon as you notice them, really, right? Yeah. Uh, or before, and, and 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 even before that, to stop them even happening in the first place. So your next tip here is understand your legal obligations as an employer, disability and reasonable adjustments. Yes, and this was the. This was the area that I was saying is can be quite dry, but actually I think we can distill it into a few common sense points. So I suppose, first of all, it's about recognising whether there might be a disability. Now, we're not, for, for, for employment law purposes, we're not, um, most of us are not medical experts or specialists, but it's about identifying, do we have a physical or mental condition that might be long-lasting, which is that it's lasted 12 months or more, and that can be intermittent as well. It sort of comes and goes over at least a 12-month period, and it has an impact on somebody's day-to-day activities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that might not necessarily be their work activities, although, you know, it's likely that it will be having some impact in the workplace for this to be an issue, <clears throat> but it can also be, you know, their normal going about their life. So it might be I don't know, difficulty showering or getting out of bed or whatever. Um, If we spot some of these signs, then you'll notice that it might be a disability. Um, And in that case, it's about considering reasonable, what reasonable adjustments can be made to accommodate the condition. And so as you were saying, Amy, that might be by speaking to the employee, first of all, to understand what they might need, but also then... Um, informing yourself uh, through specialist external or specialist advice about what steps could be put in place to support the individual. Mm. Absolutely. Great. So understand, um, it's understanding your people and a bit about what you can do. Yeah. It's, it's gathering the people around you, isn't it, who, who know Right. Yeah, exactly. which takes us on neatly to your next point. It's exactly. get help from experts, including occupational health. Yeah, and I, and I think really this is it's it's to enable you to have a plan as an organisation to be able to plan better. Again, for everybody's benefit, the benefit of the individual, the organisation, um, that the team members that might be. Um, you know, uh, surrounding the individual who, who's got the particular issue in question. And really through asking some focused questions, what you're trying to do as early as possible is to work out, um, you know, what's the, what's the prognosis? What's the um, longer term impact uh, of this particular condition on the individual? Yeah. Is it something, you know, how can we best support the individual? And then, you know, if actually having taken the necessary steps or in fact concluded that there aren't any steps that we can take because that might be uh, one outcome of, of the report we're then working out what's the best thing for this individual and I know I said at the start lawyers often get wheeled in in this situation to um, help with exit conversations you know that might be one outcome of this type of conversation uh, of this uh, of getting the the expert report um, but at least if you're fully informed, it gives you the clearest way forward 
um, in terms of approaching uh, mental ill health. Yeah, right. Be able to make more informed decisions. Yeah. So you've got all the you you've got all the information. It's really, I suppose, drawing together the earlier points um, uh, and saying once you've heard from the individual, once you've got the expert advice, you can then take more informed decision as a, as an organisation whether that's to whether that is actually to performance manage the employee, whether that's going to be counterproductive, um, uh, or, or or whether it's you know it might be better um, for the individual to. Um, leave the organisation. One of the clients I I acted for a client um, who had a finance director, um, and it was quite a big organisation. And this individual was really suffering um, with anxiety. And the difficulty was that he um, he had quite a stressful job, mm-hmm. and this was getting worse at month end. Um, and actually, what what we realised is we couldn't really remove. There were a lot of elements of the role that we we couldn't really remove from him. I mean, he was the director, so there were some elements that the other t- the remainder of the team could take on. But the occupational health um, advisor was excellent. Actually, made some suggestions that we tried to accommodate. They worked for a while, um, and then the individual became unwell. And actually what enabled us to do is to go to the individual and have a discussion and say, frankly and honestly, we think this is not, you know, the, the, the best role and environment for you. And, and he held his hands up and said, no, I think that's, that's right. I just need to go somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about, as you say, it's about making it person-centred, isn't it? Rather yeah. Taking a, a sort of blanket approach. Look at the dynamics of the situation and see this as a partnership, which is what you mentioned earlier, isn't it, yeah. between the company and the employee? Yeah, mm. I think this is really important. And actually, it's something I've learned um, over my time as, uh, as a lawyer. Um, quite often, and I, especially in my early days of qualification, in my early days, I, I didn't advise individuals at all. So I was only ever seeing it from the company's point of view. Um, very cynical views I would sometimes hear about all oh, the individuals you know they're playing the mental health card and that kind of thing yeah. um, and you know fortunately over the years that um, attitude has abated somewhat yeah. but I think what it led to was quite an adversarial relationship between um, you know a lawyer acting for the company and a lawyer acting for the individual or it doesn't have to be a lawyer it could be you know, a lawyer acting for the individual and somebody at the company. Yeah. Whereas actually if, rather than saying, this is my position, my client's right, and the other person saying, no, that's not right, my, you know, my situation's right, just saying, we have a difficult situation here, how are we going to sort it out in everybody's best interests? And actually if you can work with somebody like that, mm. um, that, in my experience, is, is the best way of resolving the situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the we, isn't it? It's about the system. Yeah. It's about everybody being feeling good about it in the, in the end of the day. And be uncompromising about your own mental health. Just briefly on that, Jane, because we yeah. have to move on. No, so, um, I mean, I don't think I need to add much more than that, really. Um, just ha- how important it is to look after yourself yeah. in order to be able to, in my case, give the best advice that I can do and come fresh to each situation. 
Absolutely. Always look after number one. A few quick fire questions for you, Jane, and then I'll hand over to Angus. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> Fabulous. Jane, what does vulnerability mean to you? Um, being open and honest and sharing when I'm struggling with my colleagues. Wonderful. What's going to revolutionise workplace mental health? Um, when we manage to eradicate this view of employees being cynical in raising concerns about their mental health, when we recognise that people suffer in difficult situations and we need to support that and when that's universally acknowledged. Fabulous. Jane, what was your best race and why? Um, I didn't think it at the time, but in hindsight, it was my London Marathon 2013 when I did my personal best of 315. And I was, annoyed, I was annoyed it wasn't lower at the time, but actually in hindsight, I loved the whole day. I just went in thinking, I love this day. I'm going to enjoy it. And it was very positive. Wow. And on that, let's speed <laughs> ourselves on to the finishing line. Jane, fantastic. I shall hand over to Angus. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. And thank you very much, Jane. That was very, very interesting. It was very inspiring. One of the big things, just listening to you. So we've known each other, um, I think since 2017. One of the big things I think came over is how much things have moved since then. It's not really that long ago. It's five years ago. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about going to that conference, being blown away by what people were talking about, and then going out and making employers alive to the possibilities. Yeah. And becoming proactive rather than reactive. We often hear, we work with uh, shipyards in Glasgow and uh, we work with a union convener there. And um, he says often he gets involved right at the end. Is it way too late then? Yeah, it's the same as what you've been saying here. So make employers alive to the possibilities of what can be done. Um, I love the partnership, the partnership between the employee and the company. And you even drilled it down further, the partnership between the employee, the manager, and HR, yeah, and working out the best way to move forward, uh, picking away the layers, um, support being the key to unlocking what happens next. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And although these are very complex issues, it's simple ways to solve them. It starts with an open conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, just do simple things well. It's a great message to put out there. It's really encouraging. And make it the norm to be open and honest. What a, what a goal that is. Yeah. What a worthy goal. Of all the things that we do, make it the norm to be open and honest is um, just fantastic. And, of course, be uncom uncompromising about your mental health. 
your own mental health so that you can give more. Yeah. So thank you, Jane. It was wonderful. It was really interesting, very inspiring. And, uh, you know, as always, we can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you for asking me to join. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So on the Wellbeing Hour next month, we have Sunita Wazir. Sunita is Senior Manager for Global Wellbeing at Unilever. And she's going to be talking about her uh, her own mental health and how she looks after that. And also about how do you look after the mental health of 148,000 employees across the globe? Where do you even begin with that? Yeah, it is mind-blowing. So, Sunita, 17th November at 12 noon. Come and join us. It's going to be a cracker. And uh, we also have some dates for your diary here. As I mentioned, we've got Sunita there. On 1st December, we have a face-to-face session um, at SC Works in Hillington in Glasgow. So if you would like to come along to that, you'll see the registration link on our website under events. The next well-being hour is with Oriane. Uh, I'm going to say her name wrong. Yoriak. Thank you. Uh, so it's with Oriane, who is Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Yale University in New York. Um, we then have Jackie Vaz, who is a financial well-being spa- specialist, and that is for January. We thought it would be a good start to the new year. Um, if you like what we do, follow us on LinkedIn. You will see the events that we put up there, and you can register from there. Hopefully, you don't all get my name when you get the <laughs> <location> link. <laughs> And uh, we are Head Torch. We do all things uh, workplace well-being and mental health. Uh, We work with senior leaders, people managers, frontline people. If you like what we do, please get in touch. We'd love to hear what you're doing. Uh, My details are there. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. That was great. Thank you for joining us. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wellbeing Hour. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. These events take place regularly, so do join us for more. And if your organisation would like to develop a mentally healthy culture, we'd be happy to work with your senior team, people managers and frontline staff. Please get in touch at headtorch.org. We look forward to hearing from you.